I'm Matt. And I'm Jenna. We are Mana. And this is Food for Thought. A podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. This week's episode is about abortion and how we can talk about it not just from a religious perspective, but also using science. Okay, Matt. So, yes. I thought about going on all these different kinds of diets after baby's born. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about going on an all-almond diet. But that's just nuts. That is. That is. That's a fact. That is just nuts. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello! Welcome to episode 18. Yes. So, we're recording this. The same day we recorded our last episode. Yes. So if you want to know what our Joy Junk Jesus is, just go, go re-listen to go those back. two golden minutes of glory. We're doing this because, well, you know this. Maybe you don't. Maybe this is the first episode you're ever Maybe. listening to. Yeah. I am pregnant. I am 39 weeks plus, what, four four days pregnant. And so we're just kind of on baby watch. So we yes. decided we'd record two episodes. I am also pregnant because my wife and I are one flesh. Look it up. I just but... said that the other day, and I... Yeah, no, I'm definitely not pregnant, but <laughs> probably not even close to spiritually pregnant, but um, <laughs> yeah, the closest thing I've ever been is like just a big burrito. But anyways, um, my wife is also pregnant, 37 weeks and a day, Woo! so we're recording this in advance because we know we'll probably need it, Yeah. Um, and we want to make sure that you have an episode... Um, in the future, to give you like what's coming after this episode, we're going to be doing um, a weekly series on um, the seven deadly sins and how they kind of manifest in the life of, of young adult Catholics or Catholics in general yeah. and how we can avoid them. And we're not going to go into the big philosophy and description of them. We want to kind of make them shorter weekly episodes, kind of just talk about how the sin manifests and how we can... Um, how we can combat it and what virtue or gift of the Holy Spirit maybe we can we can cling to and ask for um, to avoid that particular sin. But today we're going to be talking about a very important issue uh, and, and Jenna is going to, she's done a lot of research and very passionate about wanting to do this episode. So I was getting so fired up about this last night. I was researching and watching and, and so we're talking about abortion if you haven't figured it out from the title because you click on episodes. But um, we're talking about abortion today, and this is something I'm very passionate about, and I love talking about. Um, and obviously, this conversation can get heated very, very quickly um, when you're having it with somebody else that is on the opposite, opposing side. Um, but today, we're... Well, so we should caveat that by saying, you, if you want to learn how to have these conversations well... Go back and listen to our episodes yeah. on like evangelization and apologetics because we totally. talk about like asking questions, getting context, staying calm, seeking to understand the other person are all very important in these conversations. And we want to caveat this also by saying we're going to give you a conversation, resources you can use that aren't religious. Nope. We'll tell you the religious argument, but it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but Jenna, all our research has been on the science and all of that stuff behind it. And so we yeah. want to be able to equip you with things that you can bring into conversations with people who aren't religious that will be effective and that they might understand or appeal to. Yeah. About 90% of this episode is probably just going to be all about science and um, understanding what mm-hmm. abortion is and that stance. So Should we do then the teaching first? Or yeah. Do you, okay. Why don't you go cover the teaching, Matt? Okay. So, I mean, the teaching on abortion is pretty straightforward. 
it falls into the first aspect of the seven section social teaching of the church. Um, and that is that um, we are called to protect the dignity of every human life. And so we as Catholics believe that all life is sacred, that we are all made in the image and likeness of God, that value does not is not dependent on your mental capacity, on your race, on your socioeconomic status, on your ability to have a life that has a lot of money and opportunity, that it's solely based on the fact that you are a son or daughter of God. Uh, and everyone shares that no matter what their capacity, no matter what circumstances surrounded their birth. And for that reason, we believe that abortion is always wrong. Um, that the act of taking, willingly ending the life of a child is always evil. Um, and yet we want to make sure that we caveat that by saying that we don't think that the people that commit these things are unredeemable or that do not belong in the church, that do not belong in heaven. We, we want their salvation just as much as everyone else's. And so if you've been affected by this issue... Um, Go and look to our blog page because when this comes out, there'll be a blog kind of about how this issue has touched my own life um, that I, I publish around Father's Day. Um, and so um, know that we understand the issue and that we're coming at it not just from a research-based perspective, but an experience-based one uh, and that God's mercy is infinite. And so if you've made this mistake before um, or you didn't see it as a mistake or you're just really grappling with this whole idea, to know that there's still a place for you in the church and that you don't need to figure this out or fix it or get better or repent of it before you can come back. Just come and allow God to love you. Allow him to, um, to give you his mercy. And, um, and maybe this episode will help you maybe understand the issue and why the church believes what it does. Um, there are a lot of things in scriptures, but that's the, the basic gist of it. Yeah. The moment of conception, that, that is a unique human life with a unique genetic structure, unique DNA. We know it's, you could genetically test its gender and you find out a lot of things about it at that very moment, that human um, is a human life and deserves to be protected. And I think that's a good thing to note is that we both have had experience one way or another with this situation of yes. abortion. Yeah. Um, whether it was a personal or it was somebody that we were involved with, um, we have both had experience and know the pain and the suffering that comes along with this. Yeah. So, um, Starting off, I felt like it was necessary to talk about how the United Nations, they have a Declaration of Human Rights. So the UN's Universal Declaration of Human Rights highlights in Article 3, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the security of person. And in Article 6, it says everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Mm. Okay, so that's the United Nations. Now, our Declaration of Independence... We all know this, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So our first question that we are going to um, look into is the question of what is a human life and Mm -hmm. what comes into play when we're looking at that. Do you hear that rattling? It's my cat in the woods. That's Benny the Jet. Is it Benny the Jet Rodriguez, Rodriguez. Di Bernardo? Yes. yes. Um, yeah, playing in the window. Name. So Sorry. pay no attention to the cat behind the curtain. <laughs> now, <laughs> there's a lot of different stances on when human life begins. Some people will say, you know, no one knows when human life begins. Some will say um, it begins when a heart, you can hear a heartbeat. Some will say that you can um, see human life begin when you can distinguish physically in the womb um, that a baby or embryo looks like a human. Mm -hmm. Um, Some say that life begins when the baby comes into the world. So there's a lot of different 
opinions Mm -hmm. and beliefs. Um, But scientifically, we look at scientific journals, we look at scientific textbooks. Science has told us that life begins at conception. This is not a religious belief. This is science stating that. Um, And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Now, the second opinion of um, life begins when a heartbeat or human life begins at heartbeat. Now, we can hear human heartbeats at six weeks. That is the earliest they've been able to detect it. It can even be detected a little bit earlier sometimes. Um, and so, but even I, when it's not detectable by a machine, yes, the heartbeat forms between eight and twenty-one days. Yes. So typically, they can't hear it on normal uh, monitors until about eight weeks, but they have been able to detect it up to six weeks. Yeah. So very, very young. Um, and most some women don't even know that they're pregnant at that time. Yeah, the average woman finds out she's pregnant between four and seven weeks. Yeah. And so the heartbeat is present, even if it's undetectable, by a normal... I mean, obviously, it's been detected at some point because we know this. Yeah. But for eight to, between day eight and day 21, um, and then being detected by an actual ultrasound machine, um, like a generic one, six to eight weeks, like, that's significant. Yeah. So <clears throat> at six weeks, um, the, ba- the baby is... her The neural tube is being created and closing. Um, the brain is forming. The spinal cord is well-developed with neural within the neural tube. The heart and other organs are also starting to form. Um, so this is all structures, like, necessary for life. Yeah. Right? All of this is being created. All of this is growing. Um, it doesn't necessarily look human-like. The baby does have um, little, tiny, small, like, nubs <laughs> or buds for limbs. Um and so we look at, what was the next one? Um, distinguishing physically if, a, if it's a human, right? Mm-hmm. So um, at nine weeks, babies have toes. <laughs> so their limbs have appeared. They have little toes. Um, you can now hear the heartbeat in the monitor. Um, the baby's head is large. They look more alien-like yeah. than they do look human. But granted, some full-grown humans still look like aliens. That's, so. This is what I was going to say to that. I'm also convinced so. that everyone named Craig is an alien. <laughs> you never meet a baby named Craig. That's just a side note. If you're listening to this and you know a Craig, beware. I know a Craig. You've been warned. Oh, poor Craig. Um, so They're great people. Father Craig. With Father Craig. But when he was a baby, probably not probably Craig. Probably looked... Like an alien. So when we hear the opinion of (laughs) begins when you can distinguish um, physically that it's a human, let's say somebody is a burn victim and they come into the hospital, you cannot distinguish what they are because they are so incredibly burnt. Does that mean the doctors and the nurses are not going to care for that person Mm -hmm. and create and try and um, maintain their life and heal them? No, just because you can't tell necessarily because they are so warped by the fire or whatever has happened to their body. Or if a a human is born and they have some abnormality um, and they're disfigured, that doesn't mean that they're no longer alive. So that opinion is invalid and doesn't work. Um, Well, even from the moment the sperm and the egg meet and conception yes. happens, a unique DNA structure is present. You know, So if you were to do, what is that called? Am, is it called an amniocentesis? So when what? When they draw extract the DNA, mm-hmm. um, you would be able to tell on a DNA map what color hair they're gonna, they have, what color eyes, 
uh, based on the genetic, like yes. what genomes are going to be dominant and, and, um, and suppressed, what gender they are, if they're male or female. Um, you know, and yeah. in case you're wondering, those are the only two options okay. scientifically. <laughs> Talk about that Another more later. Another episode, but... Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so... So yeah, so that that just doesn't work. Yeah. Now the last the last one that I had said about where did it go? Life begins when the baby comes into the world. Um, life is not determined by location. Yeah. So when we say okay, for instance, um, if we were to find a single celled organism on another planet, we call that life, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also. Human yeah, life is not determined out. by location. Yeah, people be like, we found life on Mars. Exactly. Yeah. Be freaking out. But you are the same mat that is inside a house as if you walked outside. Yes. Your life does not change just because you are inside or outside. True. Determined by human life. So. I mean, apart from my secret identity. I mean, <laughs> I mean correct. What? <laughs> <laughs> So, so how do we define human life and how can it be t- defined when it begins? Now, I have way too many quotes from textbooks and journal, medical journals and things. Um, we're going to put all this in the show notes yes. for you. Our show notes will be a little more expanded this episode so you have all the resources, links, sources for all these arguments that you need. If someone's like, well, where does that alternative fact come from? You can be like, this okay. is not a religious opinion. Yes. This is not a religious document that I'm reading from. Um, the first quote that I'm reading from is Essentials of Human Embryology. Okay. Human development begins after the union of male and female gametes or germ cells during a process known as human fertilization or conception. Fertilization is a sequence of events that begins with the contact of a sperm and a secondary oocyte or ovum and ends with a fusion of a pronuclei and the mingling of their chromosomes to form a new cell. This fertilized ovum, known as a zygote, is a large diploid cell that begins a human life or a human being. Yeah, Jenna, but what Pope wrote that? More and Keith. More and Keith. <laughs> Keith. So this is Moore a scientific Keith. document okay. that is used in medicine. So exactly what Matt had said earlier, <clears> that <throat> you take 23... Oh man. <laughs> chromosomes. Wait, brain. 23 chromosomes from a male, 23 chromosomes from a female, and you create 46 chromosomes of a unique individual life. Yep. Just because it is one cell does not mean that it is not a human life. It is a new organism. So it's not yeah. an organ. Two organs that come together. Yeah. Or, well, no. You're creating an organism. Yeah. It has all the life. DNA it needs. Yes. So like if there was a uh, machine that was like a DNA machine that scanned your whole body and you were pregnant and you didn't know it, it would be able to say like, okay, you, we see what DNA is you as a distinct person. There's also another person's distinct human DNA inside of you. Like that, that's all that they would, that's exactly what they would call it scientifically because it's just as much DNA as you have. And maybe it hasn't been replicated into all these other cells because it's still single celled. But as it replicates, that DNA is present in every single cell. Mm -hmm. It has everything that it needs. Yes. So in um, American College of Pediatrics, this is from March 2017, it says, It is clear that from the time of the cell fusion, the embryo consists of elements from both maternal and paternal origin, 
which function independently in a coordinated manner to carry on the function of the development of the human organism. From this definition, a single-celled embryo is not just a cell, but an organism, a living being, a human being. Yeah. Okay. So, life, scientifically, has been proven to begin at conception, which means that the earlier quotes from the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights and our Declaration of Independence stating that um, a human life has rights begins at conception. Yeah, and that first right is life. Yes. And you can't have the li- the rights that follow if you do not have the previous ones. Yes. So you cannot have life without, well, you cannot have liberty without life, and you cannot have the pursuit of happiness without liberty and without life. Yes. So a baby <laughs> is not an organ that, that's causing harm within a woman. Or a um, virus. Or a virus that needs to be removed or stopped. But it is an, a human life, an organism, that we know when a man and a woman do the deed. What, life, what, what deed are you? What? Sexy time. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I did not think you were going to answer that question. Sorry. <laughs> well, This is the true. most fun two people <laughs> have ever had talking about the issue of abortion. So we don't want to downplay the fact that this is a serious issue. But we also but, want to show you that like... The good side of it is beautiful, like the side that believes that abortion is wrong is beautiful, and that like we we know that, but also that like this is like common sense, like yeah. it's it's sadly laughable, like how scientific and how yes. every study, sociological, psychological, about the effects, the um, actually what happens in an abortion, the consequences of it, yeah. all these different things like show how damaging and destructive that this is. Yes. So when, I I like that you said a baby's not a virus. So when a virus enters your body, it causes destruction. It causes harm. It's not, does not belong in your body. But a baby, a human life belongs, your uterus was created to house life and create life and nurture that life. That is not something that needs to be removed or destroyed and it's not harming your body. And my wife will be the first person to tell you that getting pregnant was the best thing for her body that has ever happened. Mm-hmm. So my wife has lupus, and her lupus has been doing pretty well. But when she got pregnant, like it fires up hormones and yeah. like responses in your body that your body, if you're female, is designed to do. It doesn't mean you're obligated to do that. Like that, we believe that women are like baby machines. No, but it, there is biological, like concrete evidence that your body is designed to do this, and my body is not. Um, yeah. And that that has created such this wellspring of response in her body that's contributed to her health in such a way that she's like blown away by it. Mm-hmm. Like even like her skin, her skin is like so clear and like pristine, like you know, like she just looks amazing. And um, beyond that, like how she feels and her own health, like her hormones are responding in such a way to be able to make sure that her body is benefited. And so, so when people talk about this as like, there's the violinist argument yes. where like, you know, so if you've heard that or you know that or you can look it up, this is the same thing, but it's also like the virus one. They tried to make that separate. So it has to do with a person that you're not connected to or related to, yeah. but the same thing applies. Like this isn't, that's not what a human life in the process of pregnancy and conception and birth is to a mother, like, and how the bodies respond. Yeah. So the violinist, um, is basically that you wake up, you're connected to a violinist who needs your kidneys, and so you have to stay connected to them to keep them alive. That's not... Which is the stupidest thing ever, because it's A, just, yeah. you have two kidneys, so you can just give them one. It's not... End, end of story. Logical. And two, like, 
who made the doll man from Saul like the leader of the free world in this hypothetical situation <laughs> to just kidnap people and hook their kidneys up? Like people in no. debates will come up with these radical really situations crazy. just to to get the answer that they want. There's another one that I heard that was like, okay, you're in a um, <clears throat> a, um an embryonic stem cell clinic, okay. and a fire breaks out, and you're running past a room, and you see a child. And a freezer full of a thousand embryos, frozen embryos. Who do you save? And they're saying this so that like you as a pro-life person are being tested to say, do you really believe that the embryo is a human life? Right. Will you save a thousand lives or one life? Okay, first of all, if this really happened, how are we the only two people in this building? A. Why is there a child left Yeah, where's this child? And of course... (laughs) I'm an idiot. I'm not going to know what that freezer is. I'm going to take the kid because there's a living kid in front of me. And if I remove embryos from a freezer, they're going to die. That's why they're in the freezer. Like, they're not, you know, it's like, but they create this situation to where like, no, you have to create this like completely odd dystopian universe to make your, your point make sense. Whereas if it was in reality, you would react based on honoring life as you saw best, you know? Yeah. And in a situation like that, like, there's no, like, great answer, you know? It's just no. like, that's a terrible situation. A building is on fire and people's lives are threatened. But, you know, you can see the discourse around this has become less and less scientific right. and more about appealing to emotion and yes. reason. That's or not reason. Emotion and... Um, opinion. Opinion. And so we really want to be able to present this issue in such a way that it's scientific and you can take it into these different different places. And I think um, coming back to what we were saying at the beginning of this, I don't know, point, um, we had mentioned that your body was created to carry life. Now, that doesn't mean that some women's bodies can't medically carry or like can't physically carry a a child, or if they become pregnant, then something arises and their medical health um, is at stake. Um, those things happen. Like, that is that is something that happens. And so we have to address the problem mm-hmm. and we have to address the, the woman's condition. And so that's like a completely separate conversation yeah. of how to handle when a woman's life is at stake and she is pregnant and um, handling that the pregnancy, but also the the woman and caring for her. Um, You care for the woman and you care for her medical needs. And if the result is that the the, um, pregnancy is lost because of it, then that is... Yes, yeah. But to clarify, like that's only in the instance where the baby and the mother's life are both threatened. Yes. Like they're both going to die. So that's something called the principle of double effect. And you can look that up to get a more... um, elaborate explanation of it but basically if a woman's condition is as such that she and the baby will both die naturally um and there's no way that from any observable means that the baby is going to survive by any means um medical intervention can happen that is not abortive you are not an abortion is the willful ending of a pregnancy which is the carrying of a human life that's what the definition of an abortion this is medical intervention to allow whatever medical condition that the mother has, that um, no matter what is happening, that the life of the ch- the life of the child is over at this point. Like maybe it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to end. Yeah. Like unequivocally, um, and this is a very, 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 very rare situation. So if people are using this as justification for other abortions, remind them that like 
if they're talking about rape, incest, medical intervention, all of those combined count for less than 1% of abortions. Abortion is a um, is conven- is out of convenience, 99, yeah. 99 point plus. That's mo- that is what we are talking about today. We're yeah. not talking about the extremes. We're not talking about... And we, yeah, we might have an opportunity to address those briefly. Yeah. But so this one, medically, <clears throat> then medical intervention can intervene in such a way that the child um, that is di- dead or going to die is... Um, not their life isn't ended artificially, but uh, medical intervention is given so that the mother's life will be saved. And as a result, that natural death that the child will have um, had, like through miscarriage or stillbirth, will still carry out. Um, and so that's called the principle of double effect. So, you know, we don't believe in, in Catholicism. We don't believe in a life for a life. We don't. Yeah. So a woman's, if a woman's life is in danger and the child's life is not in danger or it's unclear, we don't believe that medical intervention can be done and then, oops, like the baby died. Like that, that's not, that's still, you are ending the life of a child. Um, and so that is a situation where people really have to, you know, pray and discern and talk to spiritual directors and really think about that type of sacrifice. And you'll hear a story about that at the end of the episode when we get into our saint. But, um, that's a very difficult situation to be in. However, as we said, less than 1% of all abortions are done for that reason. Right. There are more cases that don't result in abortion because there's a miraculous you know, intervention or other small things are done to kind of help the mother, uh, whatever it is, that are less risky, less invasive, um, that don't account for that statistical um, you know, anomaly of abortion. Yeah. So, so we have... Clarified, and we've talked about how a life begins at conception. Um, a baby or a embryo is a unique, distinct life that is created um, at conception. And that unique life has rights, has human rights. Just yeah. because they cannot speak, just because they look different, just because of their location, yeah. does not negate or... Um, not give them those same human rights yeah. because you can look at so many different things like a person that can't talk somebody that's in a coma they still have human rights um somebody that is not supposed to be in a house who's yeah. like squatting in a house they still have human rights yeah. um someone who has dementia or alzheimer's yes. they even know who they are yes you know, they still have rights they still have human rights someone who has mental illness who can't even function on their own yes you know um what's so sad is like in countries that really um promote abortion, Down syndrome has almost been quote-unquote eradicated. 90% of babies in Europe that have Down syndrome are, are aborted. Aborted. And it's like, the, have you ever, if you've ever met someone who has Down syndrome, they're like, the happiest they're human. like living angels. Like yep. it's, it's incredible. Um, and yet the abortion industry is basically advocating for an opportunity to just let your life be convenient. Like our last episode talked about, uh, not uncomfortable and just end this life and, mm-hmm. and wait until you get a good one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh gosh, mm-hmm. like that's so heartbreaking for those of us who know people um, who have Down syndrome, who are, you know, beautiful, regular functioning people in society who just have this one thing that they deal with, you know, this this medical classification or whatever it might be. I don't um, <clears throat> necessarily know when this happened or who he was in particular, but I do know that there was a Down syndrome um, young man that went to the government and spoke on the fact that his life is worth living and that yeah. he he is has human rights and he is worth it and that we should not be um, doing like extreme testing and things to say oh yes you have your your son or daughter that you're pregnant with 
has Down syndrome because most of the time those tests are not accurate. They're not accurate like, like at all. It's like a sixty percent false positive. Rate. Yes, that is actually. It's it. like that's incredible. It's insane. Think about how many perfectly healthy babies have been aborted because of you potentially have somebody yeah. with. Because like, of a forty percent chance of a fear, but they're not even told about the failure rate of that test. They're just no. saying, you know, there's a marker or there's a likelihood, you know, and that's yeah, you know. So when Tony and I went um, in for, I don't know, our third visit at our doctor's, yeah. the prenatal um, screenings. Uh huh. They asked us if we wanted to do that, and I had asked those questions. Okay, what is, you know, what's the percentage that it's positive? What it like or false accurate? Positive. False positive. Um, and she looked at me and she just went, well, um, they're usually false positives. So, I mean, <laughs> and she just kind of stopped talking because it wasn't, there was no real reason to go yeah. through with the testing when it was just going to set us into fear and yep. into this worry of like, oh my gosh, our child might have something. Yep. Um, and for us, obviously, that was never a question of whether or not we were going to keep our baby. Yeah. Um, Plus, when you do ultrasounds happened. in the whole process of the pregnancy, there are other markers that they can tell you, like, this yes. baby has Down syndrome. Yeah. There's something in the heart called an echogenic focus, which is like a calcified, shiny spot in the heart that a lot of babies have, and it normally goes away. Mm-hmm. But that combined with a couple other markers, like a... Um, more um, more thickened neck uh-huh. um, in the back and um, you know certain ways that the brain um, is developing and the heart is developing they can tell yeah. you know and then you know if there's like all if you have all the markers then it might be like okay let's get a test to confirm this just right. to know what we're to prepare for yes. having a child with the syndrome but yeah. if you're just relying on those screenings like I, I don't even know why they do them you know no, I don't I don't it's just so sad because so many, it's just basically saying like you know, do you want the Cadillac of babies? And if you don't get it, like, then, you know, you can just try again. It's just like, oh, my gosh, that's so heinous. Um, yeah. yeah. So this is, Anyways. like, this is a lot of information, all of that unpacked. So um, I, when I have conversations with people, like, I don't have time to pull my phone out and reference <laughs> all these scientific things. No. And so it's good to have those on hand if people are asking questions. But what I generally ask is that question that Jen asked about location. You know, if we were to find, what would it take to say we have found human life on another planet and then eventually they come to the answer a single-celled organism why isn't that not referred to as a human life in the womb of a mother when it's a unique dna um, completely unique genetic person and then i ask what are the markers that we know for human life and human death and inevitably the conversation leads to heartbeat and brain activity and as we shared heartbeat is present from 8 to 21 days um, and brain activity is actually present at six weeks with that neural tube that jenna was talking about developing and when you have a neural system um, and sense, sensory system and nerves, you can feel you pain. You can feel pain. And so all of that is present by six weeks. Most women don't even realize they're pregnant between four to seven weeks. And then they have to then go schedule an abortion if they decide to get one. And so at that point, you're ending what you know to be logically now, if you think about that, someone, some organism that is unique, it is alive, it has its own genetic structure, and it has all the markers for human life that we use to determine if someone is alive or dead heartbeat, brain activity. Um, you know, a simple conversation. That took, what, a minute, you know, yeah. to help someone realize, okay, maybe maybe I don't know this whole story. And so yeah. maybe when you're having this argument, uh, or the, not this argument, but this conversation about abortion, to ask someone, okay, um, the reason I'm against abortion is because I believe that that's a human life. If you don't believe that's a human life, when do you believe that human life begins? And then ask them a lot of questions about how they know that. 
and how you judge whether a life is alive or not. And then maybe that conver- they'll they'll have to kind of rationalize with no scientific evidence to support them to kind of realize, okay, there's not really a lot of logical support for thinking that human life begins later. Right. And that you can maybe help them realize that it's earlier and earlier. Maybe you can't get them all the way to moment of conception, but you can probably get them pretty early. And if you get them before 20 weeks, you know, m- most places don't allow abortions after 20 weeks because babies survive pretty well at this point, about 20 to 22 weeks and after, with the help of medicine if they're born that early. And, and doctors won't say that. No. Oh, yeah. They'll say that they are not vi- like Doctors viable. still think NFP is the rhythm method, you know? My doctor... Never mind. I'm not even going to get into that. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. I just, Another episode. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> one of the other arguments that a lot of people have um, is more so of just like emotion and, um, oh, well, it's the woman's choice. But mm-hmm. the issue... Oh, gosh. The issue with that is that a, a mom with a two-year-old does not have the choice to kill her child because of inconvenience, because, well, it was annoying me. Yeah. Of, I can't care for it anymore. Yeah. Um, that's that's not a choice. Because once a child is outside, now we can actually see it, which in our brains, for some reason, now we are like okay with saying, okay, this child has human rights in that. Yeah. But but the baby inside the womb, the child that's inside my, 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 my womb right now is the same one that will the outside yeah it doesn't change and there are there are there have been investigations in the past that have really not been reported on a lot about Planned Parenthood there's actually a congressional session that you can look up um, I think someone questioning Cecil Richards who's recently stepped down um, from um, C- CEO of Planned Parenthood asking her which this is a situation that happens when a baby when an abortion is happening especially a late term abortion yes and the baby is accidentally born alive yes what happens to the what do they do and there have been reports of workers at planned parenthoods and other clinics that perform abortions leaving children in in soiled linens in closets in um, um, even in buckets of human fetal material to Just die. die that's murder or, By the definition of the law, not even like this debate that we're having. Having like once, yeah. that is murder. And if a woman were to go home with her newborn and kill her newborn, like that's murder, and she would go to jail. Um, and yet, this is not being reported. And there, there have been reports and reports about this from employees, from people who've gotten those abortions, um, who heard the cries of the baby and were explained away by different things from the doctors just to get in and out. Um, and it's it's heinous the things that go behind go on behind the closed doors of, of Planned Parenthood and other clinics like it. Planned Parenthood is a beast, and that's a completely separate episode. There's yeah. just like there's so much. There's there. Um, oh my gosh, that's so loud. <laughs> the newest uh, material that's coming out about Planned Parenthood and the um, scandal of um, women coming in and saying that they have been raped or. Mm-hmm. Um, undocumented things that they're not properly handling yeah and like the whole me too movement i think is going to bring to light a lot of the hidden camera footage that's been already done like there are videos from 2007 yeah of people going in pretending to be victims of human trafficking child prostitutes that are 13 or 14 years old and being told by planned parenthood workers um that they can get abortion without identifying anyone when they can go back to work as a child prostitute 
and them advising the pimps on how best to care for the healing of the process and how they can still make money. Yeah. After, like, that. that's disgusting. There's a, a lot of reports coming out of actual young women, 14-year-olds, um, coming in and having been um, sexually abused by the gentleman that has come in with them that is not a parent, and they're supposed to have consent from their parents, mm-hmm. uh, and them just <clears throat> handing them back over to their abuser. Yeah. And rapist, and there's no reports of it, and so yeah. all of these things are starting to come up um, about Planned Parenthood just in general. Um, they yeah. are in the business of abortion, and if you don't believe that, they um, take their statistics and they twist them and manipulate them greatly. Yeah. Um, how do how do they do it? They take like so, like if all you come in, things... say if you came in for services, yes. So say if if. Let's say 90 women came in. Yeah. And all 90 women came in for an abortion. Uh-huh. However, if a Planned Parenthood worker also gives them birth control, also gives them uh, a pamphlet about STDs, a pamphlet about how to have safe and exciting experimental sex, um, then they can also mark off that services provided were contraception, um, STD testing or education, um, sexual education, and they'll log all of that and they'll add up all the services provided so to you that may have been five services and they'll divide it by number of people so let's say 90 people came in even though they all came in for an abortion but they came in for other quote unquote they were given quote unquote other services they'll add up just all the services so that adds to maybe 400 and then they say oh only you know that's less than 20 percent only 20 percent of what we do is abortions. Right. However, if you ask them what percentage of your clients come in for an abortion, that skyrockets upward. I don't. I think Planned they Parenthood don't. does in the thirty percentile of the abortions in the country, but I I'm trying to remember the statistics. So forgive me if it's wrong. I think it's in the eightieth, low eightieth percentile. Eighty three percent of clients come to Planned Parenthood for abortion, and the other yeah. it's more for contraception, free contraception, yeah. which you can get through Medicaid and, that's and like any the other equivalent clinic. of. Somebody saying that um, they go to a car dealership. You've heard this analogy, yes. right? And then they get, um, oh, well, we gave you paper, we gave you pens, we gave you this. And uh, yes. they, like, count everything up that they do. But they're not necessarily saying that they sell cars. Yeah. They're in the business so of cars. Them, how many cars do you sell Yeah. to how many clients? That's the real question. And when you ask them that question, then the statistic is clear, that they are in the abortion business. And we know that because... In, I think it was in 2007, their own statistics reported that even though they had less clients, they had more abortions that were recorded. We apologize for the construction sound in the background. We didn't know that was going to be happening. But, um, yeah, it's happening. So we're just going to go through it. So anyways, in that 2017 study, uh, I think I said 2007, 2017 reporting of statistics, um, you know, more abortions uh, but less clients. And former workers um, of Planned Parenthood have talked about their abortion quotas to, that they have to get every month to get the funding that they do to stay open. Um, and so um, go um, read stuff from Abby Johnson. She's a pro-life advocate who used to be a manager at a Planned Parenthood. She knows the inside and out. Uh, and she doesn't sugarcoat it. She doesn't lie about what really goes on there. It's been confirmed by other workers. Um, she's real about it, but she's also someone who is now an advocate for pro-life, and so she uses that to kind of show people kind of what really goes on behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're advertised as doing a whole lot for women, um, and yet there are so few clinics in the country um, that are vastly outnumbered by free, non-government funded health clinics, some of which do provide abortions. Remember, Planned Parenthood only provides about a third of the countries, but they don't have these heinous under the table other interactions with people and covering up rape, child abuse, um, incest, things like that. And so it's just important to be aware of all of this. Um, It may not help you in your conversations with people about the issue of abortion, but Planned Parenthood is very much part of the media discourse surrounding that issue and inevitably if you talk about it long enough it will come up and so it's important to be well versed in in those statistics and how they're reported uh, and which ones are accurate and which ones are being skewed. Well a common misconception is that Planned Parenthood is really the only um, place where women can go get medical help or like Um, medical clinic for women where when you take an image of all the Planned Parenthoods in the United States and then you put it up against um, an image of all of the other women health clinics that are present and around that don't provide abortion actually, they are everywhere. But Planned Parenthood is just such a beast and they are so much louder than all these other small clinics that provide so much for women's health. So, I mean, go look at those statistics and those places will give you prenatal um, care. They'll give you mammograms. They'll give you support after you have your baby. Which Planned Parenthood doesn't give mammograms. No. They advertise that they do. They defer them elsewhere. They do not. And so the way that they say that they can do is they defer them and then your Medicaid or your Medicare will cover it. Yes. But Medicaid and Medicare is taken so many other places um, not that aren't Planned Parenthood. And so just be aware of the discourse and always do research and don't just look to one side of the conversation sources. Look at both and see, okay, which of these seems like it's reporting what's true, which debunks the other. Uh, and you'll kind of start to see the truth rise to the surface. Um, cause that's just, it's just something that people use. They use statistics to skew um, their own argument, their own reality to make it more persuasive. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of people do not know what an abortion is. They know um, the idea, the concept behind it, but they do not know what is actually happening when we say abortion. We think that's kind of a very pretty cookie cutter thing when you just literally said that they are removing um, babies that are alive and then letting them die. So there's two, I guess, umbrellas of which um, abortions occur. So there's a, the first one is a medical abortion, which, um, is typically um, an abortion pill, not typically, it is an abortion pill, that is given at an abortion clinic and it blocks the pregnancy hormones that maintain the embryo. Um, And so it just stops the whole process of your body caring for the embryo at the very, very, very vital early stage of pregnancy. Um, And usually the patient has to come in multiple times in order for this to work and for them to take the drug. However, a lot of the time, I have a personal experience of somebody that I know that this happened. Um, it doesn't work. Mm. And she actually ended up continuing having um, her pregnancy and then finding other means um, of a surgical abortion of um, removing her child. But yeah. um, they will send the woman home with these medication and they'll have severe cramping. Basically, they're miscarrying. Um, and there's no medical supervision happening. Yeah. And so um, women can bleed out. They can have a lot of um, 
other things happen that cause a lot of damage to their body. Um, and oftentimes when we talk about abortion, they say that there isn't any um, like after effect of your body. We're going to yeah. get into that later a little bit, um, which is not true. There's a lot of different things that happen that you could no longer be able to carry life after an abortion. Yeah. Um, so that's the medical abortion. And then there's the surgical abortion, which has um, three different kinds of abortions underneath that. So the first one is an aspiration, is a surgical abortion procedure performed typically during 6 to 16 weeks. Um, it's where they suction the baby out. Um, there's DME, which is a dilation and evacuation. So basically, with all of these, um, these are very aggressive ways of removing very invasive yeah vi oh my gosh removing life um and so with the d and e what happens is they will place um a something to dilate you it's like a pla sometimes plastic instrument inside 24 hours before um your abortion occurs and they place it inside you and it forces your cervix to dilate um and then after that you'll go in and they will force it open even more with forceps so that then they can go in and remove the baby and take apart the baby um, using scissors, using forceps. Um, and then they will scrape the inside of your uterus to make sure they got everything. And then they sometimes will have to use their larger uh, parts uh, and instruments to remove it. And then they'll suction your uterus out. Not your uterus physically, but like remove everything from the uterus yeah. so that they make sure all of the parts are out. But what can often happen is baby parts are left in there, um, parts from the pregnancy are left in, causing massive infections. Um, when they are opening the cervix, they cause small micro tears, which can then also get um, infected, which also then later on will cause... Um, what's called an incom, incom no hold on i'm not saying it right dang it hold on what is it called incompetent an incompetent cervix mm. it's not the nicest term but <laughs> um an incompetent cervix where your cervix won't isn't strong enough it's like if mm. you've you've cut all of the muscles and so it's not super strong so when you do want to carry later on it's harder for your cervix to stay closed and carry that pregnancy along mm -hmm. so you're more prone to miscarriage yes you're more prone to miscarriage and then the last one is a dilation and extraction um which is similar to a dne where this happens usually after 21 weeks of gestation um and oh wait they, i think the other one is a dnc Oh, sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah. So Other ones, one DNC. DNC. I, I wrote it's that like wrong. like dilation and cartilage yes. or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, So that sorry. is when, yeah, there's like a vacuum tube and like um, forceps that cut and you basically cut the baby. You still scrape. Yeah, and scrape. Yeah. So, um, sucked out. Yeah. it's just, yeah, absolutely horrible. So D&E does very similar, but they will um, take the baby and they'll remove part of its skull so then they can suck the brain out of the baby mm -hmm. and end its life yeah and then they'll and with just, a, then you'll yeah. kind of just like give birth to a dead baby basically basically in that moment um <clears throat> and in both of those they'll or at least in the first one the dnc they'll if the baby's um 
alive because a DNC can also happen when you're uh, have miscarried but um, they'll make sure to give the baby a shot to kill it before removing it yeah and so there are animations of all of these online there are even um, there's even a, a video of an actual abortion that was produced by a medical company and if, if this is something that you really after listening to this feel like you still want to support it should be something that you do your research and you know what you're supporting Yes. Um, so we're not advocating that you watch something graphic like that, but it's important if you feel like I need to know what this is like and educate other people about the horror of it, or I'm still going to support this. Um, I would argue that if you're going to support it, you need to know what you're supporting. Yeah. Um, and and watch it. Watch the animated. Watch the the one that um, I don't know if we can find it. I think I have it somewhere, but um, it it I warn you, it is very graphic, and um, I'm pretty confident that you may not have the same opinion after you watch it. Um, because I think people people just have this misconception based on the media that it's just like this quick thing you go in and then it's done and then we'll get into the after effects I assume in a moment yeah. all the consequences of that but you can tell just by the invasive surgical nature it is a surgery it's a surgical it's procedure and everyone going in for a surgery knows that there's risks to surgery risk of infection risk of death all those it's not like it's like or abortions are these magic surgeries where like you know like everything it was there now it's not yeah and that's then then you get a free unicorn to ride home like that's not like it's not this big rainbows and sunshine experience it is a serious invasive surgical procedure especially if it's one of the surgical abortions yeah. um and they're very violent they cause harm to the baby they cause the baby pain um and and leave lasting um consequences yeah. internally to the mother so they they dismember the baby inside yeah. they will dismember they will the baby. they will cut it and so that they can take cord, it out and then yeah um it's it's absolutely horrible and i a, a beautiful example of what you you just said of going and like witnessing and seeing what's happening um is okay this is not commonly known roe v wade um roe was Norma McCorvey was her real name. She, um, her story. If you don't know this, Roe v. Wade is the the legis the the case in 1973 that was brought to the Supreme Court that resulted in the legalization of abortion. Yes, so in the United States. So Norma McCorvey was the woman that um, was considered Roe, and so with her situation, she ended up um, being pregnant for the third time. She did not want to have the baby. She originally stated that um, she had been raped, and so it was her right to have an abortion, Mm -hmm. and in the state of Texas, they were not allowing that, and so she took it to court, and well, kind of. It was more so people used her story, and um, it was taken to court. Now, what happened after this all happened and abortion was legalized, Norma um, did not feel right about it. And so in order to um, kind of seek out why she didn't feel right about it, she went and started working at abortion clinics. Mm. And she ended up witnessing the horrific things that go on behind closed doors. Um, she witnessed women, every single woman that had an abortion, sobbing. And having a horrible emotional reaction to it and realizing that what her legacy now was, was the death of human life and how um, she had caused, now it's from this 1973, 60 million deaths. In the United States. In the United States. In the world it's over a billion. So 
she went and she witnessed an abortion clinic and witnessed what was happening and she had a massive conversion of heart um she became a huge advocate for pro-life she actually started um a movement called row no more mm-hmm. and she um spoke out against abortion and um, she passed away at the age of 69 um, but she she witnessed what was happening and realized yeah the destruction and the harm and the ugliness and the aggressiveness and just the yeah. ugliness of what Roe v. Wade caused. And I think in, in is it Humana Vitae by Pope Paul VI, the encyclical all about like contraception, I think he, he <clears throat> is like almost prophetic in his language about predicting exactly what we're seeing now in the world of abortion contraception and how, yeah. <clears throat> how life is being contracepted and, and um, the effects of that on our culture. Um, and it's, it's an unfolding exactly as he anticipated because when you disconnect um, love from sex, when you disconnect life from sex, um, it becomes a sterile act and it becomes something that is done for money, for pleasure, for um, without or for um, means that you don't care for the consequences because you feel like the consequences have their own answers and no one tells you about the effects of them. Yeah. There was also another case... Um... Doe versus Bolton. I don't know as much about that one. I've never heard of that one. It's a it's a smaller case, but the same same kind of situation of as Norma, um, the woman that was involved in that one had the same radical conversion um, and dedicated her life yeah. to um, the movement of the yeah. pro life movement. So, and in Ireland, like they just passed yes this, this or um, oh, poor revoked the, revoked this law that now abortion was legal. Um, in Ireland, and um, what's interesting when people were reporting about and trying to pray that this wouldn't happen, they're talking about the fact that that Ireland does not have legal abortions. One of the few or only country in the Western world that doesn't, and it has the lowest maternal death rate yes. of all of them. Yes. Those things are linked for a reason because this is a dangerous medical procedure. Yeah, and the argument that women are going to go to back alley places for abortions and that our maternal death rate is going to go up because of it, that's just not accurate. Because yeah. you look at Ireland as that example. They have the like, lowest maternal death rate. Yeah, that whole term, back alley abortions, people think it's like some some crazy, you know, like not licensed doctor in the back alley of some like, you know, rusty bar like yeah. with unsterile material. Back alley abortion refers to the fact that after doctor's offices would close... They would open the back door of their office from the the entrance would be from the back alley to provide a sterile medical abortion for someone. That's where that term comes from, and it's used all the time in discourse to make it seem like no one's gonna have any options. Yeah. I think what we need to be advocating for is just less abortions for convenience. To the point where it becomes human nature, common sense, that sex leads to the creation of a human life, and until you're ready to bring a human life into the world, you don't have sex. Yeah. And in these, then we can get to those less than 1% cases and really minister to the needs of people who are suffering because of rape, incest, abuse, and medical conditions, uh, and really be able to provide them the resources that they need, along with supporting moms who do it for convenience who just don't have the money or the resources or have career aspirations or whatever it may be um, to allow them to, to have that child. And it's so crazy to me that um, abortions... Um, happen in abortion clinics, especially Planned Parenthood, um, are primarily in urban areas, and they're they're vastly um, more attended and used for abortion by people of minorities. 
and uh, especially by single mothers, and that some that Barack Obama's mom, for an example, who was a single mother, single black woman, decided to have him, and that yet he, it's ironic, becomes a Democratic president to then advocate for the very thing that could have killed him. Um, and it's like, you know, um, there are abortion is responsible for more deaths in the African American community than um, heart disease, AIDS, cancer. Um, and two other things, I can't remember what they are, Com- combined. <laughs> well, you combined. look at um, who created Planned Parenthood and where she placed Planned yes. Parenthood. Yes, Margaret Sanger, who's the creator of um, Planned Parenthood, uh, believed in eugenics, that she uh, did. She wanted to eradicate Hispanic and especially African-American children from the world. And so Little that... unknown fact. Yeah, so d- anyways, we're getting into Way a lot of point. different things Sorry. specifically about There's Planned so Parenthood. There's so much But all this. of this has to do with the abortion debate and the abortion... Um, you know, discourse that's out there. And so you're going to get a lot of these questions and a lot of these conversations. And if you can get fundamentally to like, when does a human life begin? And then look at all of the heinous uh, things that happen as a result of supporting something other than that. That's really why we're telling you all of these examples. Um, But I think also the consequences on the life of the mother after abortion. Let's talk about that. So physical effects afterwards. So it, um, 27% of patients that have, um, had an abortion that acquire a post-abortion infection um it that's 27 percent so 27 percent of women um, have an get infection an infection yes sorry okay. i read that wrong um have an infection as a result of their abortion now um while immediate complications of abortion are usually treatable these complications frequently lead to long-term reproductive damage of which more ser- are more serious in nature. So, basically what's happening here is that we don't really hear about how women get an infection and then how lo- this long-term effect of an abortion yeah. is that you can't carry yeah. life afterwards. Um, oftentimes there's sterilization that from infections, from... Um, them doing something wrong during yeah. the abortion um women bleed out they like they hemorrhage, they yeah. hemorrhage because of an abortion because of how aggressive yeah. an abortion is and i didn't even know about that that cervix thing that you'd mentioned that makes a lot of sense though and like how integral that yeah. is to keep the baby in until the right moment yeah i mean if, if you if you don't know this if you're not familiar with like you know the the more intimate details of childbirth um like when people are checking if someone is dilated or if the baby's ready to come. Like, that's all has to do with the cervix. And all has to do with, like, is the cervix opening or, you know, um, allowing, thinning out so that the baby will be born soon. And if that mu- if that muscle isn't strong or that, you know, element of the woman's reproductive system isn't strong at doing what it's supposed to, that's a pretty serious indicator that there's going to be problems with future pregnancies. And that, along with the uterine wall, if they can't implant well because it's inflamed, infected, um, inviting something like endometriosis as a result of a, a botched abortion, um, that's that can also lead to difficulty, you know? And so that's something that we need to keep in mind. Um, yeah. Do you have any statistics on, like, increased rates of depression, suicide, anxiety, all that stuff? Um, that's slower. So that's psychological. So, um... I don't want to make you jump ahead, so if you have more no, no, to share. No, no, that's okay. There's one, more, there's one more thing that I want to share, because this is huge. So a major study of first pregnancy abortions found that 48% of women experienced abortion-related complications in later pregnancies. Women in this group experienced 2.3 miscarriages for every one live birth. Wow. 
Yet another research found that among teenagers who aborted their first pregnancy, 66% subsequently experienced miscarriages or premature birth of their second wanted pregnancy. So it's either one and two, or if they're teens, when it happened, two out of three. Yeah. Have complications. Yeah. So they don't talk about the physical <clears throat> effects that happen after your abortion. And, like, let's be honest. Like, if you really believe that what you are doing is for the dignity of the mother and for her protection and her health, this, to me, just it doesn't sound like <laughs> women's health. The statistics are so high. Yeah. This is not a healthy person that results from this. Yeah. So, psychologically, um, oftentimes what women will say is their first feeling that they have is relief. And that's because they've been feeling like, let's just get it over with. Let's yeah. just stop. Let's just end it. Um, and that that is a first reaction to their um, emotions after abortion. But that temp... That, that's very temporary and it goes away very quickly then afterwards they'll feel very numb um and then studies have shown that the first few weeks after abortion have found that between 40 to 60 percent of women um have questioned their um decision on having abortion um within eight weeks after their abortion 55 expressed guilt 44 percent complain of nervousness disorders 36 have um, experienced sleep disturbances 31 percent regret their decision 11 percent have been prescribed um psychotropic tropic sorry thank you psychotropic medication um by their family doctor and then at least one third if people have um psychological side effects including depression worrying um eating disorders and more so I mean, like maybe you're someone who's really struggled with this. Like I would never do it, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to prevent someone else from making that decision. I mean, if you really care for the other person, for other people in general, like saying I care about you cannot be synonymous with I want you to undergo and have the ability to undergo a procedure that will make you potentially sterile or damaged to ha- have wanted children in the future and will result in adverse psychological. Um, consequences for you, including increased rates for depression, anxiety, suicide, um, you know, all these, and the drug and alcohol abuse is yeah. an increased rate for that, like all those different things. It's, that's not supporting women's health. No, there's so much. And I don't think the people who support abortion know that. I don't think they know all this. Like, I'm not trying to throw people, because I do think, as we said in our last episode, people don't support things if they don't have, if they don't believe that their best intentions are in it. And so I think people have been misled by media discourse and people on the extremes of both sides um, of this issue to think that this is really what's best for the mother. But if you look at the reality of it, like how can you be comfortable continuing to say that? Um, And that's a question that we all have to answer, especially those people out there who do support uh, the availability for that. Um, We we talked a little bit about rape and incest, for instance, like if a woman is raped, their um, studies show that she reports that uh, the abortion as a second rape. Yeah. She, she feels the traumatic. It's a, a PTSD moment because it's invasive right. in the same place. Um, and it re-victimizes the mother in such a way that it is protecting her attacker. Mm-hmm. You're destroying all mm-hmm. evidence of the act that happened that she deserves to be free of. She deserves restitution for it, and that person deserves to, um, who did that to her, deserves to and have the consequences yeah. of that heinous action. Um, 
Why would you want to cover that up? Well, we don't give the death penalty to a rapist, but we give the child that is a product of that rape the death penalty. Oh, snap. That just, like, gave me goosebumps. (laughs) Like, we don't... (laughs) uh, What? Why? And then... Gosh, I had another train of thought, and I forgot. Sorry, I was just praising No, 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 it was good. It was good. I don't remember what I was going to say. It's fine. But it's... it's and most women, even if the oh, consequence <laughs> of like facing her attacker in a court of law, even if it doesn't play out, like even if they don't get the consequences they should have, let's say it's you know a very wealthy young white man at a college who is accused of raping you know a minority girl. The situation played out on season two of Thirteen Reasons Why. If you're familiar with that show, I'm not recommending you watch it, but if you had watched it, you would have seen exactly what I'm talking about which they got from a reality they experienced from talking to a lot of college students and high school students, is that you know a privileged um, guy makes a decision to go after a non-privileged girl, and as a result, even if he's brought up on consequences, it's like probation yeah. you know, or minimal time served. However, in every instance when the women are asked, in everything that I've ever read, um, they report feeling uh, empowered and feeling healing from being able to face their attacker, call them what they were in public so that everyone knows, and bring it into the light and not have to be the only one that's dealing with the effects of that issue for the rest of their life. Yeah. So there's a a Catholic um, pro-life speaker that I was listening to the other day, and she somebody had asked her this question of, well, what about rape and incest? And she had an amazing answer because she's had the experience of two different women that she has known that were both raped, and had both um, taken different routes um, when they both became pregnant. Mm-hmm. So the first, she became pregnant and she kept her pregnancy. And she said that that child saved her life because she um, wanted to commit suicide but would not do so because she had a baby inside her and knew that she had to carry that child and carry that child to mm-hmm. life. Um, and so that child saved her life and yeah. she is grateful for that. The second woman who was raped and it resulted in pregnancy, um, she had an abortion and her comment was that she um, felt like it was harder to get over the abortion more so than the rape because after being uh, attacked, she then became the aggressor to an innocent victim. Mm -hmm. And so those two examples of women that were raped and both resulting in pregnancy of seeing just the difference in their choices and how they were able to come out of it. Um, One had a harder time and the other was, her life was saved because of it, because of the child. And I think a lot of discourse is surrounds the fact that that child is going to have to be raised as the child of a rapist. When in reality, that child is going to be raised as a child of an empowered heroic woman. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Like what child would not have a good childhood with a mom like that? Who's willing to face bravely the terrible atrocity that happened to her. Um, that, I mean, it's something that I agree is going to be very difficult to counsel someone in that situation to do. And I can't even begin to imagine being in that situation, not only as a man who doesn't have to worry as much about my own safety in that regard, but also as someone who's never experienced something heinous and traumatic being imposed upon me by someone else that I couldn't prevent, you know? Um, so yeah, it just shows how this industry protects a lot of terrible things that are happening out there in the world and yet that whole industry exists 
around discourse that has to do with less than 1% of abortions to really just provide matters of convenience for people who don't want to, A, uh, deal with the consequences of their own willful actions. This isn't people who are roofied or people who are coaxed into it. No. um, But they willfully entered into the act of sex and are willfully ending the life of the child that resulted from that act of sex. Yeah. Um, And so what we really need to do is be also investing in good sexual education for people and to really be thinking about that. Um, Yeah, and... If we make abortion illegal, like, how do we care for women? So making yeah. sure that um, we are creating places that women can go, that if they feel like they can't care for their child, that they can, or care for themselves during pregnancy, yeah. they don't have <laughs> the finances or whatnot, that they can go to these facilities and go to these places and be cared for. Yeah. Um, and then for women that, um, when we look at society... And we look at why women feel like they can't be pregnant. Is it because they're feeling like their success is going to be hindered by their child? Um, for instance, like a if a woman is in a place of business and she feels like she could get a promotion, but if she gets pregnant, her pregnancy is going to cause her not to get the promotion. Yeah. What are we? What are we teaching? Like, yeah. what, <laughs> what are, are we, we teaching saying? women that they deserve to be treated only on their success and in a career or they deserve to be treated like a whole woman and honored in the dignity of who they are as a mother as an employee as someone who wants to be successful but also as someone who has a right to have a child and not be treated poorly for that yeah like that's what real dignity is is honoring the whole person yes so we're not saying that um especially with abortion that we can't we shouldn't look at the the options um of if a woman does then carry a pregnancy of course like we need to look at why women feel like they need to have an abortion what we can do to support them to help them and how we can change society's outlook on pregnancy and on life because i personally don't believe that abortion is ever going to become illegal again in this country but i do think that we can change i mean i'm going to pray for that every day continually and i still do but i i don't necessarily believe that will ever happen because i mean to me that's going to be like heaven has landed and we're we're sinners we're imperfect and we're always going to be creating new ways to sin, new ways to, um, you know, be a, be in a fallen world. Like, that's just the reality. So I think what we really need to do is is treat this issue as a one at a time, you know, the woman who's in front of us, and be educated about the alternative resources, just like Jenna just said, that are out there. So when you are presented with this, to know how to honor the dignity of this woman well and get her the resources that she needs um, to be able to have this baby or even give it up for adoption. I once heard um, statistically that there are 36 parents for every one child that is put up for adoption, but because of the crazy bureaucracy of the adoption um, process in our country, it's difficult for them to find the child that they're looking for. And so a lot of people go international. Um, And so to recognize they're going to find a good home. You may be thinking about the broken foster system and all of that. Okay, invest in that. Don't just so don't just be babies. comfortable with allowing other people to die as a result of something that's broken. Go fix it. Um, and we want to be able to pray into that and do whatever we can. And so if you hear of people who are in need, people who need resources, people who need support that are in this situation and you don't know where else to send them, send us their information and we'll get them, we'll find what they need. Amen. Um, and, and, and hopefully you'll be an advocate to do that as well. Yep. So last comment. Abortion promotes the idea that humans are disposable. Yep. And every science shows, I know in scientific studies, um, they've been able to find cells from every child that a woman has given birth to in her body years Uh, later. And so sociological studies that have been done, psychological studies have shown that children who are born after an abortion happens 
so they're born from a mom who's had an abortion first and then are born later, they report almost this common characteristic of feeling like they're missing someone in their life. Um, and I don't know exactly how they measure that. You'll have to probably go find that study yourself. But all the, the research I've, I've found around that is like there is this communal sense of loss, even if they weren't even alive when that happened. And I'm speaking to you as someone who was in a relationship when I was in high school that resulted in an abortion. Um, and so go read my blog about that. Um, I won't get into it. But I understand this issue. I've lived it. I've lived the trauma of it. I know the effects of it. I've seen them play out in my own life and the life of the mother of that child. Um, and... You know, we're not saying any of this to demonize people who, sh- who have been through this issue or who are considering it. We're saying this so that we can love them better. Yeah. We're saying this so that they never have to be put in a situation where they're not treated with the fullness of dignity and love that they deserve. And that includes the dignity and love that is reserved for their child as well. So a saint that you can be praying for the intercession for and that really personifies how we can approach this issue beautifully and be empowered to do it well is St. Gianna Beretta Mola. She was... Um, She's the patron saint of mothers, physicians, and unborn children. Her feast is on April 28th, which is the day she died. Uh, And she was born in 1922 on October 4th. I think that's my friend Ashley's birthday, if you're listening. Happy birthday on October 4th, (laughs) Ashley. Um, October 4th, 1922. uh, She's the 10th of 13 children. She was born in Italy, and her parents were both Franciscan, like third-order Franciscans, so kind of like oblates, where they... They live in community with one another, um, but not in like the way that priests and religious do. Um, they just have like that community that's around them, and they pray like the Liturgy of the Hours, and they're part of the Franciscan spirituality and stuff like that. So she loved her Catholic faith from a very young age, and she, when she was 20, she started studying medicine in Milan, and she became a member of the St. Vincent de Paul Society to help serve the poor and the needy, and she became in, involved later in Catholic action. Um, She ended up getting degrees in medicine and surgery in 1949, so when she was 27, and she opened a practice, her own practice at 28 in the year 1950. Um, Her her specialty was in pediatrics. She was drawn toward babies and moms. Um, She at one point wanted to join her brother as a missionary in Brazil um, to to provide care, like gynecological care for women Hmm. uh, in Brazil, but she had a lot of chronic illnesses in her life that prevented her from doing so. Um, But when she was 33... Uh, in her Jesus year, she was married to um, a man named Pietro Mola, and he was an engineer in her same office. Um, and so they were only together for about nine months, and then they were married. And then they had three children, uh, Pierre Luigi in 1956, Maria Zita the next year, and Laura two years after that. Um, so she ended up getting pregnant with her fourth child in 1961. So she was 39. And she was diagnosed with fibroma. Um, which basically means that she was carrying a baby and a a tumor. Um, And so doctors gave her three options. They said, um, you need to get an abortion, which would save your life, and then you could have more kids later, but it would end the life of the child. B, get a hysterectomy, which is you would save your life and not have this child and never have kids again, so you don't have to worry about this ever happening again. Or potentially try and remove just the fibroma, which could result in further complications, but it might save both their lives. So she chose that one. She said, just if you can do whatever you can, and this has to do with that principle of double effect that we we talked about. So she uh, ended up choosing that third option and the child's life was saved. Um, She did continue to have complications, but she would always say, if you have to decide between me and the child, do not hesitate, choose the child. I insist on it, save the baby. Mm -hmm. That's one of her quotes. Um, So she delivered the child April 21st, 1962 
And if you were paying attention to her feast day when she died, she ended up dying a week later um, due to complications. Um, it was septic uh, peritonitis, basically an infection um, that resulted from, from the complications of that operation and birth. So she's buried in Italy. She was canonized by John Paul II, and it's the first time ever where her husband and children attended her canonization, where the family was oh present my gosh. for the canonization. Um, How cool. And so the miracles associated with her becoming a saint, she... Um, Someone prayed for the um, prayed for a Protestant woman who was a mother who was suffering um, from pretty deadly complications from having a stillbirth, and she was healed. Yeah. And then the second miracle that led to her sainthood um, was at 16 weeks, a woman was um, pregnant, and her whole placenta drained oh of fluid. Gosh. And the placenta is like the life sack for the child. Yeah. Um, and so they prayed for the miraculous intercession of Saint Gianna, and the baby was born in perfect health wow. um, at you know full term. Um, wow. At the World Meeting of Families, which happened a few years ago, uh, her fourth child, uh, who's named Gianna Emanuela after her, read a letter at that World Meeting of Families about the importance of, of um, adhering to the dignity of human life in all cases, which is just so beautiful. So, um, yes, yeah, she died April 28, 1962, at the age of 39. Um, and she, she said, Our body is a cynical, a monstrance. Through its crystal, the world should see God. And she really did that in her sacrifice. Um, she said that love and sacrifice are closely linked, like the sun and the light. We cannot live without suffering, and we we cannot love without suffering, and we cannot suffer without love, which is just such, such an embodiment of the cross. And then lastly, she said, love your children. In them you can see baby Jesus. Pray for them a lot, and every day put them under Holy Mary's protection. And what a good thing for us to know, you know, as we're about to have kids. Um, but also, um, if you're really facing this issue um, and really praying for someone or praying for a miracle for a birth that's you know gone a wrong turn medically or is really a hopeless situation, ask for the intercession of Saint Gianna and uh, her her she's proven herself already in the miracles that have happened as a yeah. result of her intercession. So uh, we hope this. Uh, episode was beneficial to you we know it was a little bit longer but we wanted to get all our research and stuff that we we talk about this issue in here um so um i think we did every said everything we wanted to say yeah yeah so if you have further questions if there was any aspect of this we didn't address or you'd want elaborated on yeah um please please let us know Uh, we could write a follow-up blog or do a vlog or do even another podcast episode on it in the future Uh, but please uh rate and review this podcast and like and share this episode with whoever you think may benefit from it And hopefully it equips you in your conversations with other people about this very important issue. Remember never to demonize them or the issue, um, but to remember that this issue is just part of the nature that we have a fallen world and to to always strive for dignity and strive for dignity not only of the people involved in this issue, but the person who you're talking to and having this conversation with that you want them in heaven is just as we want all these babies uh, whose lives are at risk um, to to live a full life and then go to heaven. Um, And so... Uh, if you want to support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you can do that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, or email us at manafoodforthought at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, and as always, um, Charles Borromeo, pray for us. St. Gianna, pray for us. And we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye. Bye.